0: Mark chapter number 11, and we'll read from verse number 7 down to verse number 10. Of course, it is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry of the Lord, coming down the Mount of Olives to go into Jerusalem. Verse 7 And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way others cut down branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried saying Hosanna blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord save now we beseech you Lord. Jesus entered into the temple, and when he looked around upon all things, now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Now it is Palm Sunday this morning, and I've read from the account of Palm Sunday, as the Lord comes down the Mount of Olives there, and uh, this morning, I don't want to focus on that event, actually, I want to I move behind the actual prophetic fulfillment of what's going on there, that it is fulfilled prophecy and other evidence that he was Messiah. But I want to move on and I want to think about betrayal. Because as we enter into this week, this uh, event marks the start of what we call the the Passion Week as, as the Lord comes as king but ultimately is rejected as king. And we see this theme of betrayal all the way through this week. All the way through. We're going to see it. Good Friday. We're going to see it uh, when Judas goes to the Sanhedrin. We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see it from his disciples, are we not? Those that said, oh, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never uh, go away. I'll die with you, Lord. What happens? He's been betrayed. Now, are there levels of that betrayal throughout the week? But it is a picture of man's failure amidst God's triumph. And if that doesn't ring true as an application for the church today... I don't know what does. That God is working. He is always working. God's purposes are always advancing. But in between that, we have sinful man and woman. Those that don't know the Lord. It's completely separate from him. Those that know him and claim his name, but yet fall in and out of this for him, against him, for him, against him. In the work, out of the work. Helping the work, hindering the work. I'm a pastor and I speak to a lot of pastors and generally I will say without shadow of a doubt that 9 out of 10 times the reason the work of God is halted, hindered or stopped is not because of outside opposition. It's from opposition from within. What's that? It's betrayal, really. Betrayal. So as we think about the, the, the um, triumphal entry, the Lord comes down, now we notice it's the daughters of Jerusalem, that's the kind of villages and encampments, so it's, it's the country folk really, there are people from the city that are welcome in at this point but Jesus' ministry is a country ministry, it hasn't been completed largely in the city now he goes to Jerusalem, he does, he keeps the law in its totality he's, he's there when he needs to be there and when the Lord, the Father would have him there, but the mainstream of his ministry is in the country. And his support comes from there. And as he comes to this bit of triumphal entry, there are vast crowds there. And many are for him. And many of those would have stayed for him as he went into Jerusalem. But we get a little bit later on in the count, we're going to look at this as we get over the Easter, Easter weekend. You know, that there are those that turn against him that are very easily turned by the voices of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to, to turn against him. So, my question is what has happened from the 10th of Nisan here, Palm Sunday, to what transpires later in the week? Why do we have these crowds? Now, Understand, not all betrayed. But many would have been from the city to come out and would have been saying, Messiah, Messiah, save us now. At the same time, four or five days later, we've been saying, he was no Messiah. He was an imposter. He was a cult leader. He wasn't our Messiah. No, we cried out, crucify him. We said, free Barabbas. We didn't want him. What happened? <coughs> betrayal. Betrayal. So I don't want to focus in Mark 11. I want to take us a few chapters forward this morning. And I want to take us to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look through Mark chapter 14. And we're going to see these two contrasting acts. Because we want to deal with betrayal. And we want to see, you know, what betrayal is and what belief is. And we're going to contrast an act of deceit by a betrayer with placed in scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, in the same passage, an act of devotion from a believer. And we're going to see the complete contrast. And hopefully when we leave here this morning, I'm going to leave us all, me included, with a choice. What are we going to do when we go out there? Are we going to live the life of a believer, or are we going to live the life of a betrayer? That's our choice. That's our choice. God's not going to make us one of these two. He's going to watch us as we live out as one of these two that's our will before the lord what are we going to do so when we get to mark chapter 14 we're going to we're going to talk about this betrayal and you know jesus is in good company when it comes to betrayal is he not you can look down through history and and, and see it julius caesar with brutus the one he loved like a son what does he say when he gets the knife, the history says that he actually held open his, his, his robe when he knew he was there. And said, you too, Brutus. Betrayal. Tyndale, so influential in, in getting the Bible out there, was betrayed by a friend. Taken into prison, went off to die a martyr's death. We could go on and on and on. Each one of us could stand up here and put our hands up to... Time in our life when we've been betrayed. Anybody been betrayed before? <coughs> I have. I have. It happens. It happens. And when we get to Mark 14, we're, we're, we're going to see how... Judas ultimately becomes this betrayer but you know the heart of the betrayer was in him from the the beginning I, I've no doubt about it he was a man that was thinking of himself and himself alone but we want to pick up just first of all set a little bit of context Mark chapter 14 and, and verse number one says after two days was the feast of the Passover of unleavened bread the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and to put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. I want you to notice that. Why, why, why would there be an uproar of the people if this man was a rejected Messiah? For a lot of people, they thought he was it. A lot of those country folk. And what happens at the feasts in Israel? What happens, especially, especially in particular ones? With people from the country. Where do they have to go? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's going to be buzzing. It's going to be packed. So they get together and they say, do you know what? We need to deal with this man. But let's not do it to after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've got Passover. We've got Unleavened Bread. Passover seven days kind of starts with the first day, eight days, really, if you want to, the whole thing. But they're they're, they're, they're synonymous, one with another, two sides of a coin. And they say, we'll do it after. Because the people won't be there. There won't be the uproar. We can take him and we're not going to face the wrath of these country bumpkins that love this man and have lifted him up as the Messiah. But that's not what happens in in the context. So why does their plan change? Their plan changes because an opportunity has been presented. The opportunity that has been presented is presented by the betrayal of Judas. So they take advantage of that and they change their plans. And they come, they come to take him by night. One of the things in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you've been to you know, Israel and Jerusalem, you'll see that when they were coming, um, they would have been saved for miles because of the torches coming down, and the Lord would have known, He says, My time is at hand. He He knew. But even in these two verses, what we can see is that the cross was not a plan of man. No matter how much man tries to take credit for it, that the religious Jews and Satan said, ha, we've dealt with him, we've put him on the cross, we've sorted the problem out. I want you to see that this is God's sovereign purpose for the redemption of mankind. That at no point were these people in control. But it was always God. Yet at the very same time. I want you to get this. This should blow your mind. Yet at the very same time. Each of these individuals. Is making their own choices. How amazing is that? They could have. Picked Jesus instead of Barabbas. Pilate could have. Set him free. They could have left it to after the Passover. But their choice was to do something else. But yet their choice was always under the sovereignty of God. That blows my mind. It blows my mind, and it should, because it's God and God working. So we get to this portion of Scripture here, and events are going to take a a, a turn for the worse. We're going to see this act of betrayal from uh, Judas. But first of all, we want to see this act of devotion, and we see that in verse number 3 there. It says, And being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat, and there came a woman having an alabaster box, anointment ointment of spikenard, very precious, beautiful language there, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. So here we have this believer that comes along and in this act of devotion she, she pours out this spikenard out of this alabaster box and when you look at this you know you look at the items these are things that would be very precious that's what the, the scripture says this is not like run of the mill grab something and, and you know what have we got on the shelf this is not like me you know I, I, I'm a poor pastor I can only afford two aftershaves these days because you look at the price of aftershave and you're like wow so I have my cheap day-to-day aftershave. This is the Christmas stuff from the mother-in-law. And then we have the ex- more expensive stuff that's only for special occasions. This is the special occasion stuff. For those of you who have people over, this is the plates that you put out when visitors are coming. This is the best that she had. The Spegner is, is very precious. Actually, it's associated with being the best. That's the idea there. So the items tell us something. That tells us something about the intention of this woman. This was complete devotion. I I want you to understand she's given everything she has here. She's given everything she has. The investment is a year's wage, roughly 300 denarii. A year's wage. What does that tell me about this act of devotion? What does this tell me about a believer? Here's what it tells me about a believer. It tells me that a believer gives what they can. What they have. And sometimes that means giving sacrificially. Now I ain't just talking about money. Although that's part of it. I'm not ashamed to say, believe it or not, the church doesn't run on buttons and confidence. You know, it doesn't. God is sovereign over all, absolutely. But, you know, there should, we should be given and given sacrificially. I, I have no problem in saying that. All of us. But I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our will. I'm talking about our devotion. I'm talking about our life before the Lord. We should give what we can. And more than that, we should give beyond what we can. We should give sacrificially and devotionally to the one that we believe in. We should. So she gives what she can. And then look at, look at verse number 6. This comes off the back of, of, of verse number 4 and 5. where there's a little bit of disagreement. You know, what's going on here? Verse 4, actually, let's read that. It says, There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii or pence." And given to the poor. It's a complete waste. We could do so much more with this than <clears throat> offer it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So there's dissent. Yeah, I want put, to put some other passages together, other events and things that Judas is at the center of this. He's a treasurer. There's other passages that speak about this. He's the man that held the bag. He's not happy. Why? He's more about money than he is the master. How many people in churches are like that? How many churches are like that? Oh, we're safe. We've got lots of money in the bank. Good for you. Good for you. Why do you have lots of money in the bank? We're not a bank. That money should be used for the work. For the work. Now, we don't want to be broke. We want to be sensible, but I know churches that are folded, kid you not, kid you not, with over £100,000 in the bank. We'll never have £100,000 in the bank. Nope. Not when you're paying me 99,000, but no. <laughs> so it's the work. We love the master more than the money. What's going on here? They're not happy. And look what Jesus says as he he deals with this believer's devotion. And he he says there in verse number 6, here comes the, the commendation for her act. He doesn't rebuke her. As Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. I love that. She's wrought a good work on me. I want to say to you this morning, beloved, that any work you do on or for Jesus is a good work. Whatever it is. The opposite of that is. Any work that's not done on or for Jesus. Isn't a good work. It's a wasted work. Could that money have fed the poor? Yes. Yes. Does Jesus condemn her and say you silly woman. You should have gone out and fed the poor. No, no, no. He commends her. You've done a good work. Why? The master matters more than the money. Verse 7, he gives some contextualization to it. He says, For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. Now remember, this is in context of what he started to teach these people. After the transfiguration, he starts to talk to them about what? His death that he has come to die, not to rule and reign and as a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the promises in the Abrahamic covenant, that he has come to die. And this woman has recognized it. Look at verse 8. It gives the clarification. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying let us read between the lines here here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples to his followers she's got it a new end she saw it she knows it that I've come on a mission I'm coming to die as the Lamb of God and you're faffing about over money you've missed it so this woman's not rebuked (laughs) Those that complain are rebuked. Verse 9. There's commemoration. I love this. I love reading this. You know why I love reading this? Because as I read it, I'm fulfilling it. How good is that? The words of Jesus that were spoken all those years ago in that location, as I read this this morning, I'm fulfilling his words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, that this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. That's what we're doing this morning. That's what we're doing this morning. Little old lady, Stoke on Trent, thousands of years removed. We're doing it. This was a believer. And what Jesus is saying here is, not only does a believer uh, give what they can, but this is what he's saying, a believer does what they can. This is all she could do in that moment. She had come to the realization that this man, the Messiah, had come and he was coming to die. And all the money in the world wasn't going to change that. All the money in the world wasn't going to... Help that. All she wanted to do was recognize that. Recognize him and say, I believe in you. It's worth something. I value what you're doing and because of that, I'm going to give my all to you. Believer does what they can and gives what they can. So in Mark 14, we have this put together, this act of devotion from this believer, but then we move straight in Verse 10, where we see the act of deceit from a betrayer. And it's not coincidental in this gospel that they're put together. Contextually, we want to see these two contrasting ways because, you know, this event in Mark 14, I think, is the final straw for Judas. And what happens, verse 10, it reads, this act of deceit from the betrayer, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went on to the chief priests to betray him on to them. So Judas, he's, he's had enough. doesn't like where the money's going. Let's get behind this. Let's get behind it. Let's think about this. Let's give, for talking's sake this morning, Judas a little bit more credit than what we have done previously. The money's not going his way. But what else do you think has led him to do this? But more so, what has Jesus started to teach now? Hey, hey! He's like, what's what's going on in Judas' mind? I've backed the wrong horse here. This man is not Messiah. Because to the Jew, this concept, even to Peter, you know, the Lord rebukes him, doesn't he? Because he doesn't know. He knows the kingdom. He knows that the kingdom's coming. He knows that the kingdom is an earthly kingdom. He knows that Israel are forefront in that kingdom. He knows that the throne of David will be sat upon in that kingdom. That is the proper theology of the kingdom. That it is coming. That it is on earth. That is it is all established in the Abrahamic covenant. The land, the seed, the blessing. He knows it's coming. And they're looking for this military man, this overthrower that's going to set up this glorious kingdom of Israel is going to be at the forefront of all the nations as God's chosen people. And then this man starts to say, no, I'm coming to die. Come coming to die. I think, what? What's going on? What's going on? And the man that was doing miracles, the man that promised so much, is now saying, oh no, I'm coming to die. So Judas, in his heart, I think, is stirred. He doesn't like what's happening with the money. He doesn't like what's happening with the message. He says, this isn't it. And he goes somewhere else and basically puts his money on the Sanhedrin, the religious establishment, the traditional route. Now, of course, we know what happens to Judas. He regrets. He regrets, no doubt. But what what does that tell me about a betrayer? Just as we think about that. You know, if we're looking at, at, at a believer, that a believer gives what they can, here we find that a betrayer gives what they want. That it's really all about them. For the believer, it's not about us. It's about him. High and holy and lifted up. For the betrayer, it's me, 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 and more me. I'll give what I want. Judas was in as long as it suited him. And when it didn't suit him, gone. 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 How often do we see that in our own lives, in our churches, in the world, when it doesn't suit? there we go? When it's not about me, When all my needs aren't being met, I'm off. Go on, go on. Betrayer gives what they want. And then notice verse 11. We see the action. When they had heard it, they were glad, promised to give him the money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. A believer, a betrayer not only gives what they want, but they do what they want. This was his mindset. This was his path. This was his plan. Off he went to betray the one that he thought had promised so much, but didn't deliver. So he abandons the Lord. He goes to the other side, if you were. He goes to his enemies. He strikes the deal and says, this will work better for me. And then he starts to scheme and plot how he's going to betray the Lord. Get to verse 43 we find that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. And immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords, staved from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. So they've come down, they're coming down from uh, Mount Moriah, Zion, coming down from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane that lays in the valley there between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. Verse 44, He that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and took him. Here's the betrayal. A betrayer does what they want a betrayer gives what they want judas is the betrayer that's the act of deceit from the betrayer versus the act of devotion from the believer so what is the application for us this morning we take all this and we put it together what's the application for us well here's the thing for those that don't know the lord jesus christ this morning the application for you never changes from, from Sunday to Sunday, from day to day, it never changes. Here's the application for you, no matter what I say from this pulpit. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the application for you this morning is you need to repent and be saved. Because Christ is coming again on the war horns. And you will face the wrath of God unless you know him as your Savior. That's the wonderful gospel of grace. So that's the application for you. But what about for believers? We know him as Savior. How, what are we to take from this? We're believers. <laughs> But here's what I want to say to you, that within us lies the heart of a betrayer. Do you understand that this morning? That your heart is deceitfully wicked. The Bible says, who can know it? That the biggest battle you'll face is with yourself as you look to serve the Lord. We're capable of betrayal. There's a, there's a story told, I don't know whether this is true or not. When, when I give illustrations now that are not my own, I always caveat them a little bit. Because some of them I can't verify. So, but the application's good, so we'll go with it. But it's said that when da Vinci was painting the Last Supper, that the, uh, one of the, the models that he used for, for Christ, um, he painted them and used them. And then it's said that um, later on he was looking for somebody to do Judas. And he went out in the, sh- in the streets and he found somebody that looked the part, disheveled, head down, um, you know, looking like a rogue, really. And he brought the man into the studio and, 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 and started to talk to him. And the man started to look around the studio, quite familiar. And it said that Da Vinci questioned him and said, well, You know, what's, what's, what's wrong? He said, Oh, I'm the man that you used all those years ago. It took a while for Da Vinci to do his, his, his artwork. He said, I'm the man you used all those years ago to paint Christ. And I think there's an application there is that, you know, the man that was Christ one day at the look of Judas the next and, and that's us that's us we're all capable of this we're all capable of this we're all capable of betrayal you know we, we, let's, call another, let's call that another term if you're not comfortable with betrayal hands up if you ever feel like you've let the Lord down right let's call that betrayal I've let him down no you've betrayed him why? Because you've done what you want. And you've given what you want. That's the heart of the betrayer that lies within us all. As Christ came down the Mount of Olives all those years ago, that crowd was full of people. Some believers, some betrayers. As I said here this morning, some believers, there's some betrayers. That's just it. That's the world. But what are we going to be? That's the point. If he is the king of kings, if we say he is the Lord, if we say he has saved us, he has set us upon a rock, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he has washed our sins, forgiven forever, once for all, why then do we live the life of a betrayer? Why? One minute in, one minute out. For him, I'm against him. I'm for him, I'm against him. You don't want to go into battle with people that are for you one minute and against you the next. I don't know how many times I've done that in my, in my work career, generally. And in, not so much in church life, thankfully, but in my work career where, you know, where I was management or whatever, you know, job, steward, you spokesman. never been in this situation? Everybody's got to complain Say, right, go and take it to the boss. Go and take it there. We'll be with you. Right. This is unacceptable the way you run your company. These people are, and I'm going to bring them. No monster with me. Why? betrayers, betrayers. So what are we to do? If we're going to go in the battle, we want to be believers. And to be a believer, you've got to give what you can, and you've got to do what you can. And if we can honestly say that, I mean honestly say that, Before the Lord, not before me, but before the Lord, we're doing what we can and what we're giving what we can. God bless you. But if you're not, examine your reasons why not. And what's stopping you? Why would we not give all that we can and do all that we can for the one who gave his all? The triumphal entry could have been so much more. If people had have give their all and done their all for the Lord that came to them. I wonder this morning, as the Lord challenged your heart, I wonder this morning, are things not right with him? Maybe you don't know him this morning. I pray that the word of God and the spirit of God would touch your heart and lead you to the throne of grace, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray.